Well, I've been I've been thinking about uh, one of the things we've been doing at the crossing is kind of um, talking about some ways to mature or ways of maturing spiritually. You know, I, I, the image I've been using is that often we're given a map that religion of our childhood gives us a map, and um, they say this is the map of religion. This is the map. This is what will make you happy. Do these things, learn these competencies, learn this material, and this is the roadmap to get you to heaven or to create heaven on earth or to be successful or to be happy or be aligned with God, whatever that is, right? Um, and and I have come to I'm test driving this idea that the map of religion that you've been given as a kid will fail you. Hmm. And that often when we step off the map, what we discover is that we're not stepping, we're stepping, we may be stepping off the map of religion, but we're not stepping off the map of God. Hmm. And that those two things have to be held in a dialectical um, attention, that they're not one and the same. They are one and the same for a long time in a developmental stage of our life. But when we step off the map of religion, we begin to ask questions, we begin to doubt. We begin to wonder um, things like the statement, God is in control. Okay. Like, what does that mean? Let's unpack that. Let's mm. get a little more complicated with, because does control mean absolute power from the outside? Like God is a marionette or a puppeteer pulling on strings. Is that control? Because mm. we understand the if then statements of power and control. If I'm saying that God is in control, then, you know, what, does that mean it? Is that, mm. is that what that means? I think we have to get, we have to step off the map many times so that our our um, experience of God can increase. Um, and I think that the more I'm kind of playing or thinking about this idea, the more I'm getting interested, the more I'm convinced that then our spirituality is bound up in community and in relationship. Mm. You know? Yeah. Um, that that's the place where God is. The place where God is is not in heaven. The place where God is is between the two of us right now. Mm. Is in the things that constitutes our community and our communion together. Right. Not just in church, but in the world. Right. So the place where God is in the world is within between us. And then the summonsing is how do we work out our faith with fear and trembling in in our very relationships because that's the place where God is. Right. That's good. Um, so, um, and I, th I think in some ways when I was in um, Cambridge, there was my main professor there um, helped to frame cognitive behavioral therapy in the seventies. He's friggin' brilliant. And he was a priest too. I'd, I'd love to, we should get him on the podcast or maybe awesome. he'll call in for this pop-up sometime. Yeah. He's just, he's great. That would be cool. And he sounds really smart too. You know, he's just, he has this great <laughs> British, you know, accent. accent and he's, you know, got stories galore. But, um, in cognitive behavioral therapy, they began to see that, um, like our minds and the stories we make up often then create worlds and then opportunities for us. So, um, it's Descartesian. I think, therefore I am, but I think myself into problems and I think myself out of problems. Mm. And that, that cognitive behavioral therapy was really a way of, of helping folks that were deeply anxious say, get a hold of your thoughts because your thoughts will create a world and you'll begin to live into that world. It's real, but it's not true. Mm. Right. 
it's real what you're experiencing, what you're feeling, but you've just protect, you've projected yourself into the future and to a future world that does not exist. You're just really afraid. And then it, it's interesting that it kind of then perpetuates itself. Yes. Your thoughts then become yeah. the re, your reality yes. because it's like your, yeah. your framework that you're building. Yeah. It's so wild. Yeah. Isn't it wild? It's so wild. Like the things that like that I think about, like uh, imagine a conversation you've had with um, um, a significant other, a spouse, a kid, and um, how often after that discussion or the f- uh, something happens and you discover something, you begin to ruminate in your mind about it mm. and you're wondering about what's happening, what's going to happen, right? Say with a child. What's, ha- what's going to happen if they continue in this behavior? And then you build a story out of that uh, unconsciously or consciously, but it's tapping into a deep anxiety that needs a place that's story, that has a narrative, that has a, a movie that's going in your brain. Mm. So part of what cognitive behavioral therapy does is to say, uh, in some ways, get a hold of those thoughts. Notice them, become aware of them, and then you can then have other choices about what to do, mm. you know. Um, so that's called the cognitive subsystem. That's a, that's a subsystem of our brain. They're also saying that there's this, this another way of knowing is not just through our brain, it's through our bodies, right? And so, um, this is kind of the duff factor on this is really high, but as kids touch, feel, taste is mm. how you get to know the world, right? Right. Something hot. Well, you don't know that through your brain, you know, that through your body. Has something salty or sugary, <laughs> you right. know, through your taste, not through your brain, not interact with your brains because these subsystems connect. And so, but by and large, most of Christianity has left out the body, although we talk about it a lot. Mm. We've made it a, we've, we've privileged the subsystem of the brain. Um, and, um, and then what we've said is the body is just obey this stuff. Right. Right. Um, and I, I think there's a way of understanding theology and spirituality and all this stuff that connects these two, that, that, that our bodies are really important. What we, how we hold trauma, anxiety, fear, all of that stuff is embodied, right? Mm. Um, and that, um, and so I'm, I'm starting just to wonder more about how those things interact, what it means to be a Christian that connects both mind and body together. Right. What it means then when we use metaphors of the body of Christ. Mm. What it means that when, when, um, when Paul is just super insistent that there not be, you know, like, um, what's, what does he say? Don't let the root of bitterness grow up among you. Mm. Not because bitterness is like, oh, that's horrible. You're a bad person because <clears throat> you're bitter. Because he knows what it does to the relationships. What right. happens between you is the only life we're going to have. Right. And so... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm loving kind of thinking that stuff yeah. in community with people, uh, at the crossing and, and, and them, them affording me enough rope to be, um, maybe heretical a little, or at least test drive some of this stuff, <laughs> right. you know, together, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. That's really interesting. I think, um, it's interesting you're talking about the body and God being within this community and a connection of yes. two people. And then the um the opposite of that being division yes which can also be often be caused by uh creating a false narrative about something that someone said something that someone did yeah um and i think of that scripture i don't know if this is related at all but catch for us the foxes the little foxes that spoil the vine i often interpreted that as our thoughts that are running away in the vineyard of our mind 
And if we're not taking those things captive and at least holding that, those thoughts accountable, uh, they can spoil the, the vineyard of your mind. But I think it's interesting that how often, if you want to break apart just the cognitive behavioral stuff, how often division is created between friends or loved ones whenever we assume yeah. and then our, our brain likes to run wild with a narrative yeah. that we create, you know? Yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a powerful thing. Yeah. These stories that we are trapped in, you know, yeah. and it's a powerful thing. What our fear creates and, and then, you know, what, what our bodies can do with that fear. Yeah. Know? I think it's interesting too. Someone said recently, the, <clears throat> the concept of, allowing the thoughts to come in and being an observer of your yeah. thoughts, not yeah. you're not the generator of yes. those things. Yeah. Cause when I was a child, you, you like random stuff comes into your brain as a kid. Yeah. Um, whether that's like, you know, I want to punch my brother in the face or just random stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> so the idea that you don't have to, uh, trademark every single thought, a thought can come in and you can go like, keep keep going you don't know yeah. you're not living in there that's a you yeah. know yeah absolutely <laughs> it's interesting there's this uh there's this buddhist teacher that i really like named tara brock who i really learned how to meditate through through some of the things that she like through her podcast actually um um and one of the things she she said which is which I, when i think about jesus being a middle eastern you know mm. that one of the things she she says is like thoughts are like clouds you know and and um, and emotions are like clouds and they pass. Right. And so I don't have to grab hold of them and hang on to them. You know, I can have this thought about being anxious about something happening in the future that's going on right now. And like you had said, the, that sense of taking a backward step hmm. and becoming an enlightened witness to that. Right. You know, I often, I don't feel like that enlightened of a witness, but often, you know, I'll think about, you know, either my mother or my grandfather who I, who really wise mm -hmm. and I knew they loved me. And often if I'm worried about something, I'll imagine my grandfather standing next to me and us taking a backward step, his mm -hmm. arm around my shoulder, pointing out things that I can't see, mm -hmm. you know, telling me, Hey, it's going to be okay. You can step back for this, from this, it's going to be okay. You know? Wow. Um, and those kinds of, those kinds of imaginations are as, as powerful as imagination that says it's all going to go to hell in a handbasket. The, the doom. <laughs> yeah. The doom the, scroll. The underlying oh, doom that we feel. <laughs> That's a beautiful picture. Yeah. I like thinking about. Me too. That. Really help. And I think that's what, that's what the Holy Spirit is, mm. does. It's the paraclete, that, that one that is with us, you know? And I think being able to have a thoughtful imagination helps me because I think, I don't know about you, but my fear always like exponentiates my not belonging, my being alone mm. and cut off from resources, oh. you know? Yeah. And yeah, there's one word that I'm thinking about all that, you know, but <laughs> it's <laughs> a terrible word, uh, but to, to invite or to have someone that is deeply for you, and that is not freaked out by what you're freaked out. Who's standing next to you saying, let's step back from this for a second. We can do this together. Mm -hmm. One, two, three. Okay. Let's we're back, you know? Right. And then say, what do you, what, you're going to be okay. Yeah. This is, you know, whatever, whatever messages come from that. 
really helpful to me usually. I had a conversation recently. I don't know if we had talked about this or not, but a, a buddy of mine was talking about the power of boredom. <laughs> yes. And how as kids, when you get bored, you, you lean on your imagination. Yeah. And because I was born, as were you, in the age pre-social media, pre-cell phone, all that. Mm-hmm. So you got bored, you go outside, and, you know, the floor is lava. Um, you know, w- whatever. You're flying. All these things, yes. you go mentally into these spaces. And then you get older. Now we get bored, uncomfortable. It's just phone. Just scroll. And you just, it just squashes your boredom. <clears throat> but it also, I don't think it allows us to use our mm-hmm. imagination as freely uh, to... I think end up in some of those places that you're talking about where you're, you're really going there mentally to some yeah. of these, you know, some of these yeah. things. Yeah. So I think it's interesting to think about taking your thoughts captive, uh, leaning into the moment when you feel bored and not trying to immediately satiate it with social yeah. media yes. or a podcast or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then living into that imagination a little bit, yeah. not being afraid of silence or, being afraid of some of these cloud thoughts that are coming through, yes, you know, because I think a lot of people are afraid of their own, you know, yeah, the things they have to confront in the silence. Of the ticker tape that kind of goes by that, whatever those things are that, you know, that CNN or Fox underneath Mm -hmm. this stuff. Yeah. You suck. Your mom never loved you. (laughs) It's all going to go to hell. It's all going to hell. Yeah. Just around the corner. You're doomed. (laughs) You're going to be homeless in five months. Yeah. (laughs) Your kids are going (laughs) to... Yeah, it's interesting though. It, that's a that's an interesting um, picture too. Something that I'd love to create a visual for is our the ticker tape of our everybody's like underlying thoughts. Yeah, right. <laughs> It'd be interesting to see like people walking down the street and their yeah. ticker tape going by. Just the, the underlying things up there processing yeah. constantly, just yeah. getting hit with over and over again. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I th- I think that's why I mentioned on um, last Sunday there's a. Uh, Italian uh, scientist, a quantum physicist, uh, who um, who wrote a, a quite popular book that was actually accessible for you know folks like me that look at physics and start drooling because I have no idea what you know. Mm. But this he, he, one of the things he said that really caught my attention was that there's no such thing as a proton or a neutron. You only know them in their interactions. Mm. And so um, thinking about that, like, like the antidote to most of the issues that we have is deep connection, mm. right? That, um, that my anxiety or depression or fear, whatever those things are, those negative valences really push me to, um, to a place of isolation. Right. And that really, I think this is why Jesus continues to talk about relationships and the kingdom and, and Paul picks that up. And the whole of Christianity is not a believing system, it's a belonging system. Because in the midst of that, that um, in our connections is all the antidotes for what we need. Mm. Right? There's, there's, there will come a time where more work will not help. Mm. Working harder is not going to get you further. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> and when that day comes, then I think it's a summonsing to deeper connection of oneself, the world that we live, and then the bonds that make us who we are. Right. Um, and I, I think that's where the spiritual 
practices come in, not because they make us holy before God, but we're practicing keeping our heart open in really difficult times. That's good. We're practicing this space that when we get freaked out, we have a reservoir or we're, we learn how to create a reservoir in the middle of that where there's a place where we are experiencing a counter narrative of love, hmm. right? Most of the time I grew up, like the spiritual practices were to make sure that I was polishing my Pat Boone white shoes and God <laughs> would be happy with me, you know? Right. Rather than God saying, no, no, that's not about that. It's about you being really deeply human. Mm. And these practices are going to keep your heart open when you want to shut it off and just burn the friggin' house down with everybody in it. Right. Or just walk away. Right. You know, so. That's yeah. generally my trauma response is the separation. Yeah. Push away from people, yeah. you know? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. But That's, it happens, I think, when you grow up in, like, non-denom churches. <laughs> There's a, I found so much balance in, like, the community of Chapelwood and other Methodist churches yeah. because it's not about... Um, yeah, it's not about like you speaking in tongues all day long and then, you know, whipping yourself with a coat hanger, a coat hanger <laughs> and like these performative holy roller kind of things. Yeah. It's more like, how do you live a balanced life? Education is prioritized and things like that. It's just so different from how yeah. I grew up. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's very much about community. and Yeah, it's huge. It's huge. I, th- I think, and, and I think both of those are important. Um, like, like some of the worship stuff kind of allows us to kind mm. of our imagination, but I, I grew up kind of similar to you in that those uh, those things I was always attempting to have an experience that might dislodge, right? You know these these negative experiences or these kind of mm. shadowed or dark places inside of me, just like blasted out <laughs> yeah. with like the sand Holy Ghost, sandblasted. <laughs> Dude, I'm watching a I'm watching something that on a, a, a Amazon called Shiny Happy People. I haven't seen that. Don't. Um, Bad? It's, it's terrible. It, well, it's, it's in this is that it was my childhood. It was mm. my upbringing. Like when I talk about kind of bring, being brought up in this kind of really fundamentalist, but, yeah. you know, it's uh, it's it's a show about the Duggars. I have seen this. Yeah. TLC. I didn't know much about They had, you know, 130 kids or 20 kids. Yes. But it really is about Bill Gothard right. and the basic youth conflicts or the basic life principles. And that was the, I was, I grew up in that. Yeah. That, um, we did too. We went to all those, those conferences, Bill Gothard conferences and all that. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, that's what, you know, it was really interesting watching that. I know we weren't sucked into like, we, I think we had missed homeschool because I'm I'm a bit older than that whole mm. thing was. I got homeschooled out. Did, no, that, explains that a lot. Explains doesn't it? a lot, bro. <laughs> it's two tweaks off and two clicks from normal. <laughs> there was a you got that crazy look in your yeah, eye. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's where the imagination yeah, came. You in. don't know basic math, do you? <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't know how I made it this far. To be honest, that's why my mom can never. Um, <laughs> She can never disapprove of anything because I'm like, you were my teacher, principal, <laughs> reset. Like you were, yeah. you were the whole the school thing. board, yeah, the school board, <laughs> cafeteria, health and nutrition, the nurse. No, yeah, I was homeschooled until I was uh, until high school, and then I went to a private school, private Christian school. Yep. Uh-huh. So, yeah, 
But homeschool, yeah, it is a, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. <laughs> it's tough, man. Yeah, yeah, it, I can see. Uh, it was just interesting watching this because I realized, oh, there's a, I think there's so much religious fear about like the world and about getting corrupt, you know, where yeah. all that kind of that, that, that being against and. What do you think that you know, was a response to if you look back on that uh, time period? That's really interesting. You know, I, quite frankly, I, one of the things I was wondering about was like when you have kids, it, you just feel so like inadequate to be hmm. like you realize that whatever, even if you grow up in a great family, um, you, you don't have the resources or or bearing the, you know, holding a child, you know, you realize the resources that you have access to feel limited compared to what's going to be required of you. Hmm. And I think that then to have someone come along and say, I'll tell you exactly what you need to do in the order that you do it in, and your kid will end up just fine. Hmm. And I think that we turn all over um, an exorbitant amount of our own agency if we're promised that the outcome would be okay, hmm. right? And so, um, and, and I think that that's what often religious or systems do is check your agency at the door right don't worry i've got it taken care of right just follow these steps right and i i that's a <laughs> that's full circle to like god's in control right oh he's in control yeah. just let go and let god right and but what if god came to you us and said and we said god uh if i do this what's going to happen and what if god said oh I have no idea. Let's find out. <laughs> right. right. You know, right. that was, you know, yeah. well, um, is it going to be successful? Oh, I, I, I have no idea. I don't know. Um, let, let's go check it out. Right. Well, what if I fail? Oh, you, yeah, of course you'll fail or, or whatever. I, yeah, right. I don't know. I'm going to be there. Well, am I going to be okay? I no, <laughs> no, you're not going to be okay. Yeah. Nobody's okay. Right. But but you're going to learn trust and love and empathy and kindness and and pain and it's beautiful and it's it's all it's it's all of that. Mm. And I think that humans want a system for success. Right. A system to alleviate pain and maximize their own happiness and in doing that they give it all up. Mm. They give up happiness they give up. They create more pain at the end of the day. They enter into a world and create a world that's actually not a world. And they call mm. that real. And, um, yeah. Wow. I'm sure that the philosopher Zizek, do you know who he is? Uh -uh. Crazy dude. Look him up on YouTube. Okay. That's another rabbit hole that, yeah, that, that I'll, he has probably a lot to say about that, but <laughs> I, <laughs> about creating unreal worlds. And then weaponizing our shame and our libidinal desires against each other. Because mm. a lot of times what ends up happening in those kinds of systems that, like, say, for example, that deny um, or that really create a deep sense of sexual purity, you know, of being in control, is that you'll have a shadow that will emerge where a lot of kids, a lot of people are being abused. Mm. Happens in the Catholic Church. Yeah. With all the things coming out, if you ever saw, what was that great movie? Um something light uh it came out a couple of years ago about the the 
the um was it a netflix or did it come out in theaters i think it was in theaters it was uh it was about a, a newspaper yes i did um, see that, that came out i don't remember the name of it yeah, though it was in boston <clears throat> it was great um but i think any system that 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 mandates a really strict set and asks people to either sublimate their humanity or to check out part of their humanity and give it over to someone else right. creates a shadow um, side. Interesting. And those things kind of, those things then have a life of their own. And then you have a system that has to protect the shadow mm. because of what they projected isn't real and sustainable. Right. Right? What the Baptists are doing is not real and sustainable in the way that patriarchy and sublimating women and to all that, it's, it's just not sustainable. Yeah. So you have to create a false way of looking at it. And then when all this other crap comes out, you have to protect the very thing that's the that's destroying it. It's right. nutty. Right. Yeah, that's wild. Another light pop-up podcast yeah we like to keep it light here in the crossing after dark crossing after dark, after dark. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to the shadow folks <laughs> i had an interesting um i mean we could end it there if we went to i just chatting i had a um my uh i'll just say this i was exposed to two different couples uh-huh not far off from my age. One one w- is going into their seventh year of marriage. The other one, ele- their eleventh year of marriage. And um, I was kind of fly on the wall listening to these four people talk about struggles, uh, counseling, just the full gamut of like what marriage is, and mm-hmm. <laughs> and and one of the couple one of the couples deeply unhappy with. <clears throat> kind of like the current state of uh, their life, their marriage. You know, it's like going through, checking off, like married, college, kids, career. Now what? Mm -hmm. I'm with this dude that's like, we don't really have that much in common. Yeah. Well, he's a jerk. (laughs) He's not near as nice as he was when we were dating. When we were dating. (laughs) And I was just like, so fascinating. Yeah. It's just so fast. That has nothing to do with this, but it's like, uh, it, it was fascinating for me to just get dropped into somebody else's world. And then, um, yeah. And, and just chop it up like that. That is, you know, I, I wonder like in those things, like, like taking the metaphor of the resurrection. Yeah. Is that like when you get married, I, th- this, uh, um, there's a guy in seminary, uh, David Augsburger, who is a pastoral counselor dude, who said that, um, um, he said, if you're married, you're going to have about nine marriages over the span of your life. The work is to be married to the same person. Mm. But you will get to the end of an an era in your relationship, and it has to die. It has to end. Right. There has to be a, a letting go of ways of... Um, understanding, knowing each other, relating to each other, and something new has to emerge. Mm. And that a lot of times that emergence, the end and the emergence is so painful that people get freaked out. Pull the ripcord. You've changed. Yeah. No, I haven't changed. You've changed, you know, or whatever, you know. But but the work is to be able to do your own work internally, them to do their own work internally, and to be able to go through that emergence that's painful into a new relationship. Mm. And that that he says that 
I don't know where he got the word nine, but it was like, yeah, it's, it's helpful. It's been helpful to me to think of it that way. Yeah. 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 It's interesting because I mean, nowadays too, there's so much of an emphasis on, uh, like the counseling and mental health thing, but I think, which I think is good, but I think sometimes it inadvertently causes people to be hyper aware of like, do I feel great today? Yeah. I don't know if I feel that great today. (laughs) (laughs) I feel off today. What's wrong? What's wrong today? I think maybe. I think it's him. I think think I'm in a wrong relationship. (laughs) I think it's her. Yeah, it's her. I don't know. (laughs) Right? It's like some, Uh, I I think like (laughs) mental health and counseling is so beneficial, but then if we're always Uh, just doing these like little check-ins with ourselves, do we get like hyper like... What are those little things, those little Selfish. quick tests that uh, diabetics have to do? Yeah. It's it's like we've learned how to do that like 30,000 times a day. Yeah. <laughs> Am I really where I need to be? <laughs> You're not making me happy. You're not making me happy yeah. right now. I wonder yeah. if the, there's a, a guy named uh, uh, Jim Hollis who talks about the, the his concept of the magical other, that each of us kind of in our brains think that we're getting into relationships and that this person is going to make us whole. Mm. This person is going to save us. If I had this kind of person, I'm going to feel this way. Yes. And he said it's deeply, it's a seductive idea because there is no magical other. Wow. That the work of becoming a human being is both in community and it's deeply solitary at, t- at the same time. Wow. That to realize that I am responsible, not like cutting someone else and said, you can't meet my needs, but to lay my happiness at the feet of another person mm. and get super meshed and to say, well, I guess that I'm just married to the wrong person. And then you get remarried and you realize wherever you go, there you are, you show up. Right. And you, you, you know, as long as you kind of keep that narrative going, you can be happy, but it really ends up turning the mirror back on yourself many times. I'm saying every time, yeah. many times it's the work we have to do as human beings to say, who am I? Yeah. How do I find meaning in my life? What's my work ahead of me to do? What's not her work or his work to do It's my work. And I'll do this work regardless of who I'm with. And my response will move out of a deep place of compassion and kindness best I can. Mm. And that's, fascinating that's hard it's like yeah. the work of growing up is not for sissies right you know so that's so fascinating because they think about people that uh yeah want to find they want to find a different version of themselves and they think finding someone else they'll be able to kind of recreate the storyline yeah you know yeah i didn't like how that story was going yeah i want to start a new thing here yeah and you get to kind of tell whatever version that's why <clears throat> every girl that i've ever dated <clears throat> Their ex-boyfriend was the worst person ever. Mm. And you're like, at some point... You become that ex-boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, <clears throat> they weren't all the worst. I mean, like, you know, I don't know. I just think, yeah. I think it's an easy way for people to discard a, a version of themselves that they didn't really like, that mm. they didn't want to confront. And then they can start a new version of themselves with this new person and this new storyline. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love thinking about this stuff, man. I yes. love having these conversations. Me too. Me too. I, th- I think like um, Michelle and I have been married for, we're working on 30 years. and um, That's crazy. It is crazy. Um, it's crazy. Because like you say things to each other, like the day you're married, like you, you promise these things and you look back, you know, 30 years and you think, I had no business promising any of that. Right. I had no idea what I was getting into. Right. Like, 
you know, for better, for worse. Yeah. You know, I mean, <laughs> you got to say that when you're, you know, in your 20s, because in yeah. your 50s, you're like, oh, I know oh. worse. I've seen the face of it. We used up all the better 20 yeah. years ago. <laughs> we used up all the better. <laughs> That's funny. But I think, you know, part of that, too, is that like you've lived with someone long enough that know, like Michelle knows me. I mean, she yeah. walked through my addiction stuff with me when I was, you know, lying and trying to keep away from it. She's, she's seen me at my absolute powerlessness. And she's also seen me in probably my most proud moments hmm. and all of those things like, like 30 years in, like the work is how do we keep our hearts open towards each other? Hmm. How do I do my work as a human? And, and how do I, and not encourage, but I, I'm open for her doing hers, but how do I keep my heart open? Right. And because she's been the space, our relationship has been the conduit of my deepest healing, mm. you know, of, um, with her and through her and also, you know, connected to other friends that I've made out of our relationship. But it's, it's beautiful. It's also really hard. Yeah. You know? 